and the Acts of Peter. Last Supper. Betrayal, crucifixion, resurrection, restoration, and ascension. It's quite a lot of art, really, isn't it? But it's been a wild ride for our man Peter. Told to go wait in Jerusalem for the promised Holy Spirit, bumper. Holy Spirit shows up in the most public and dramatic way. Our man stands up and delivers a sermon of his life on the fly. And several thousand of his hearers embrace this new way. Then Luke, who wrote Acts, records this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home, ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. It sounds blimmin' flippin' awesome, doesn't it? Everything that Christian community life could be ever is here right at the beginning. It's a real high point. And as I've sat with this little passage, it's a little bit like, I think, this guy's perspective. You're on a viewing platform and it feels like you can just see forever. You can see up the river, this is the Grand Canyon, you can see up the river to see the, um, the canyon that's been carved out over goodness knows how long. And it's like looking at the long storied history of God's people Israel that's brought you to that point. It all leads to the point where the people of God are standing and just looking out. And I imagine that it was just thrilling. Now Christians have looked at this passage over the centuries and yearned for it, or something like it. They've seen it as the norm for which they should strive. And I imagine that hopeful Christian and friends had this in view when they set out to create a slice of heaven and earth that we know as glory of ale. Didn't go quite so well. But this is to ignore the experience of this community and the new faith over the next few decades. All the challenges that they were to face, which are in the book of Acts and in the other New Testament books, any one of which could have sunk them were all beneath the surface that day, waiting for their day in the sun. Think about it. Wasn't that like much longer, much further in the, in the future, <clears throat> when they had to deal with their first documented case of church discipline, Ananias and Sapphira, in Acts 5. They inherited a field, they sold it, and they decided to share some of the proceeds, but not all. The issue? They lied. They were trying to have a bob each way. 
by appearing to be all in, but having the secret plan B just in case things didn't go so flash. Holy Spirit was not having any of that, and stuff got serious. They were punished, and the whole community feared God. Later on, we have grumbling about the administration of the widow's list, you know, the, the, the welfare provision. The Jewish Christians from the wider Greek world thought that the home team widows were getting more candy. And it's a tale of woe that's continued all through history. The, many of the wider Baptist uh, associations feel like the Auckland Baptist Association and the Union are, are quite close, too close. The widow's role was this little subcultural clash that the apostles, I think, skillfully managed their way through by using some pretty smart politics. And out of that came a deeper unity of the church. But it could have finished them. Then later still, when they started admitting pagan Gentiles into God's church, entirely predictably, a group of faithful Jews said, well, the, the men that are coming in, they're going to have to be circumcised and they're all going to have to obey the laws of Moses and follow Jesus. Utterly unsurprising. In Acts 15, the Jerusalem Council sorted this out, and implicit in that decision was that actually the, the Christian church was not a little sect or a subset of Judaism. So, so God used that struggle to help clarify their identity. But then Gentiles brought their own cultural baggage in with them, so high-status wealthy people expected to run the show like they ran everything else in that world. Some Gentiles struggled with the social cost of being excluded from the professional guilds. They couldn't ply their trade anymore because of their faith. And everybody, Jewish or pagan Gentile believers, grappled with where on earth was Jesus? He hadn't returned yet to put everything right. So, That lookout station that these verses represent, I think was a bit like that hill at the back of Heathcote, which also has a great view of Pegasus Bay, but as we discovered in February of 2011, sits on a very deep and powerful fault line. We didn't know that fault line was there, but apparently there was physical evidence of it if anybody had thought to look. Well, today I want to talk briefly about teaching, fellowship, communion, fellowship, prayer, and signs and wonders. Now, I could spend six weeks here, but instead I'm going to feed the chooks. In other words, scatter some thoughts and ideas on each, and what I invite you to do is to pick at what sounds interesting or challenging for you. And like a dog with a bone, take it away and chew on it through the week. You may not know it, but today is International Mixed Metaphor Day, and I'm doing my bit. And ignore the rest, we'll come back to it later. Now, uh, an initial note about method. I recall an elder at a previous church of mine winding up one day and telling me everything that I should do, and there was quite a bit. And when she finally took a breath 
In a moment of inspiration, I theatrically wiped my shoulders and invited her to stop shooting all over me. The New Testament, sometimes things, good things come out. The New Testament is full of moral instruction, but most of it is directed at whole communities. It's the letter to the Romans. It's not the letter to Jim who lives at Rome. Not individuals. And the question for us as individuals is what good works has God prepared for us in advance to do? And chances are it won't be the same as the person sitting next to us. So can I implore you to ease back on the inappropriate guilt, but rather be open to the prompting of the Spirit. Now verse 42, which is somewhere in here, there he is, no, 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 yep, yep, that's it, verse 42, the first one, is referring there to the first several thousand new believers that came flooding in the door that first Pentecost day. And immediately, they're absorbed into this teaching discipleship regime, a rich fellowship, including communion and prayer. Now, William Barclay, old Scottish guy who wrote lots of books, described the Acts Church as a learning church. And I think he's right. Now, I know that some of you are real learners because I can see the wheels spinning from here and I can smell the smoke. And when I talk to you afterwards, you have these really intelligent, thoughtful questions to ask me. Are you a good student? Do you engage with what I'm trying to put across, or are you fantasizing about the sausage rolls that you might be having for lunch? To put that into perspective, it takes, not the sausage rolls, the sermons, it takes me about one third of my power time to prepare the weekly sermon. So it's quite a lot of resource that goes into this little 20 minutes. For the Scottish amongst you, it's nearly 20,000 bucks a year. I might be rough, but I'm not cheap. <laughs> Make it worth your time and your offering. And I think it's brilliant that two of our home group studies, home groups study that week's sermon. My inner Scotsman, unlike my external Scotsman, my inner Scotsman celebrates at getting more value from this exercise. Now, we have been blessed with preachers here, with Phil and Karen, but now God has brought us Doug, Jeff and Stephen. We are rich. Doug is doing a series in September. Stephen and I will be doing Lamentations together in November and I'm coming for Jeff. I just haven't got to him yet. I foresee more interviews, more conversations between people who see stuff differently, less monologue and more dialogue. We can do that now. But teaching for me is a subset of discipleship, which includes mentoring and modelling. And those first believers were being taught stuff, sure, but I imagine they were looking very carefully at their teachers, the apostles. How do these people live? How do they treat other people? In other words, how do the truths they taught express themselves in their lives? 
And if it doesn't match, that's a problem. A friend of mine was telling me recently about a pastor at the church where she grew up, very faithful guy, very intelligent guy, who was forever shouting and thumping the pulpit like this. Unsurprisingly, she was quite scared of him. And it wasn't very helpful to their relationship, and she didn't learn that much for him from him because sitting in front of him was quite stressful. You didn't know where the next thump was coming. By contrast, last week was interesting. Now, Jan, Phil, and I all made positive comments about Jeff and Doug talking about Pentecost and tongues the previous weeks. Completely uncoordinated. I was the last one up, and I was thinking, should I change tack? But you learn a lot when two people with different takes on something engage well, both about the topic and about how to play nice with other kids in the sandpit. It also intrigued me that Doug had us praying for each other for healing on the same Sunday that I told my story about little old conservative me in the church camp, praying for a guy who was healed. I often sense the fingerprints of God in our gathering. The old reformers called it the unction, the sense that the Spirit is at work. We don't pray enough, enough for each other. When Doug called out who wants to be prayed for, me and two for, for healing, me and two other people put up their hand. But I'll bet my left pinky, this one, that there's a ton more of you who are silently putting up with discomfort or actual pain. I know you are. I was one of those people prayed for, and it was a neat experience having Robert Snow and others lifting me up in prayer. In the seven years I've been here, I have only been asked for prayer, for healing, I think by two people. And each time I have prayed for somebody, interesting things have happened. I gave up asking if people want to come down the front for prayer ages ago, because you won't come. Should I keep trying? Don't know. Then they gathered to break bread together, these new believers, to share communion. And we come to Jesus' communion table as equals, which was why Paul and Corinthians got so upset when the wealthy Corinthians were cleaning out the meal before the poorer ones got there after work. Jesus shared his table with everyone. So I can't see how we should or why we should exclude anyone now. Previous church at Island, we decided we would stop having communion on the Baptist first Sunday of the month. I know it's in the Bible, but we decided to move on. And we gave the worship leader the option of doing communion whenever you think it fits well in the service. And I did a count up a year later, and I discovered that we were having communion twice as much as we had before. Interesting, eh? 
the new believers, they devoted themselves to fellowship with each other. Now, we've got some really, really good small groups here. So there's space for you, and there's also space for more groups. And do not forsake the monthly church lunch. It's important to connect. And can I challenge you not to race out the door at the end of today, but to talk to people. Not just those you know well. Each week, try talking to one person you don't really know. And you don't have to start with your deepest, darkest secret. How was your week? Is fine. Or what on earth was wrought on about today? Equally valid. Could lead to a really interesting conversation. Now, hospitality, I think, is a very important part of fellowship. There is something about eating together and just hanging out that is special and bonding. Now, a little while ago, I went for dinner with Vicky and Io, during which we were going to plan this interview that I'm going to do with them sometime later in the year. That was my plan before I got there. When I got there, we talked, we laughed, we enjoyed their kids, and we laughed some more. I met Io's parents over Zoom who were in Nigeria, and his dad prayed a blessing on me, and we ate, and we ate, and we ate. I'm not sure how we're going to sort this interview out, but it certainly will not be done over tea. And can I say to all of you, if you ever get invited to dinner by Vicky and Io, go there. Cancel the family Christmas if you have to. Just go. I think we need to see the inside of each other's homes more than we do. If you welcome me into your home, then you are welcoming me into your life. That's what Christian fellowship really looks like making space for the other. Now we're also told here that they held everything in common and gave each to each according to their needs. To each according to their needs from each according to their means was an old socialist slogan in the early 20th century. The early believers were kind to each other. They looked to each other's needs. And this is really important. However, this was not an early form of communism as some have supposed, because it wasn't compulsory. How do I know that? Well, in the story of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5 and verse 4, it makes it clear, Peter makes it clear that the proceeds of that field were theirs to dispose with as they saw fit. They could have given it all, they could have given some, it was their choice. The issue was not that they didn't give it all, the issue was that they lied was not a compulsion. And finally, I want to say something about signs and wonders. That they were seen among them as God's Spirit continued to work miracles. And about, yeah, 50 years ago in the New Zealand church, there was this wave of spiritual renewal, and which included the Jesus movement of the early 1970s. If you have the chance to see the film Jesus Revolution, which has been out recently in the movies, go see it. It's really worth it. Extraordinary things happened back then. And I still meet people for whom 
that were, those were their salad days. That was where they were formed. And I've talked to people here who feel that quite intently. And I recently talked to a pastor who said, well, in my church, the 1970s miracles are returning. His unstated belief is that since, the, since that era, we've somehow been doing something wrong, which has irked the spirit. And if we could just sort out that, whatever it is, then we'd be back to that space. I have just two problems with that approach. And the first is that a move of the Spirit is a sovereign work of God who does not serve us, we serve Him. Our methods are not the issue. And the second is that 50 years ago, God was changing His church. He was making us freer emotionally, less dominated or driven by clergy, and prompting us to see that our whole lives were meant to be lived as his disciples. I think those miraculous events were intended to signal to the church that God was in that transformation, much like the miraculous events in Acts 2 were intended to signal to those new believers that God is in this. The 1970s are not returning, and I for one am grateful. Far too much orange brown, shagpole carpet. But the question remains, as Ange mentioned, what is God doing in our midst now? And what will he be doing in the future? It's a very good question. The church board spent a Saturday at Little River on this a few weeks ago, and we will be kicking off a broader conversation about this in a while. We're just trying to sort out how best to do it okay that's my bowl of barley chucked out to the chooks was there something in all of that that's for you give you a clue if something I said really irritated you and you're still thinking about it that's it definitely take it away with you dig into it and if you'd like to be prayed for then come down to the front at the end of the service and surprise me. Thank you for your kind attention. Would the musicians please come up?